Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Life before Jesus was um, chaotic, um, kind of a mess. My, my dad was a drug abuser and had a severe drug addiction. Um, we spent a lot of time in, in rehabs trying to get him clean. And um, I think just as a little girl, when you're, when you're asking your dad to choose you over drugs and you're not the one chosen, I feel like that, that starts this lifetime of, of not feeling chosen and feeling worthy. I started to notice that I needed Jesus when I started working at Starbucks. And I didn't know it at the time, but my coworkers were believers. All I knew is that they were different. Customers didn't make them as angry. They were joyful. They were joyfully serving these people. And my coworker, Corey Knudsen, at the time was leading a college group over at Western um, Oregon University. I never went to Western. Oregon University. I never went there. However, I started going and attending this Bible study there, and these people welcomed me with open arms. It didn't it didn't matter what I looked like or or what I sounded like or what my past was. Um, they they accepted me for for who I was in that moment. I was at this worship night, and while everybody is in the front of the room worshiping and praising Jesus, I was in the back of the room just wrestling with Him. And I had my hands clasped in these tiny little fists as if I was holding on to all of the pain, all of the anger, all of these deep wounds that I had carried with me all my life and all of these things that I experienced in my childhood. And in a moment of surrender, I just let those things go. And I gave those things to Jesus. And when I gave those things to Jesus, I gave my life to Him and started following Him. I think we have these moments where we feel as though when we give those things up, when we surrender those things, we're gonna be left empty, void with nothing. But when I asked Jesus into my life in that moment, um, those things were instantly filled. As a new believer, you're you're just a baby and you don't know what to do. I, I ended up moving in with a group of girls. I started leading Young Life and these girls were uh, mentoring me without even knowing it. I was watching them uh, read devotionals and listen to Christian music and I thought to myself, well, if they're doing that, if they're doing devotionals in the morning and, and cleaning the house to Christian music, then I probably should be doing that stuff too. They really mentored me and didn't even know it. I think one of the biggest things is that before Christ, when I was experiencing this this self-worth and insecurity and and brokenness, that that doesn't just go away. And I went through about a three-year healing process of um, trying to forgive my dad um, for what he had done to our family and for the, the brokenness that I felt. And it hasn't been easy, but I there's just these moments where I've gone back through my story and asked God where he was and just had this confirmation in my heart that that he was there and that he was present in those things. And I never walked through those things by myself. So the, the moments where I felt so and totally alone, I wasn't alone. I would just say if 
if you've experienced some of the some of uh, similar things that I have, if you've experienced experienced a, a broken home or um, a parent or a loved one that has has had an addiction, that uh, there there's hope for them. Um, my dad gave his life to Christ years ago, and that's I never thought that that would happen. There's healing for them, and there's healing healing for the people who went through it. Uh, there's healing for you, and those things can only be found in Jesus. And it's it's not easy by all means, um, but it is so worth it. So maybe if you're sitting here in church today and and you relate to pieces or part of my story, um, I would just encourage you to uh, look to Jesus. Um, he has been a great healer in my life. He has helped me through brokenness um, and the chaos of my childhood. Keep looking to him, keep pressing in. Um, healing is coming. I appreciate Sarah trusting us with her story, a story that goes from chaos and brokenness, curiosity that leads to hope and uh, purpose and peace. And uh, maybe you find yourself in that progression somewhere. You can relate to that story. Maybe you grew up in a house with a lot of addiction, a lot of brokenness, and uh, you've been looking and searching for some answers. I, I just want to encourage you at the end of our service, there'll be someone by the cross that'd love to talk to you about that and love to, to help you discover that peace that Sarah's found. Uh, and again, I'm grateful that she uh, shared that story with us. Uh, we're going to continue worshiping. Ushers, would you come forward this time as we give back to God with our, our offering? And uh, if you're a guest here this weekend, welcome. My name is Steve. I'm lead pastor here at Sam Alliance. Really grateful you're here. When an offering plate comes down your row, however, we really would invite you not to participate in this part of the service. Let that offering plate pass on by. Really grateful that you're uh, with us on this, this weekend. Um, and there is a friendship pad on the right-hand side of each row, a little folder. If you see it closest to that right-hand side, would you get that folder going, fill it out, pass it to the person on your left, let it make its way down the end of the row, and they can shoot it back and learn some names of those you're worshiping with this weekend here at Sam Alliance. We promise not to misuse that information, so um, just sign you up for a couple ads, spam lists, just seeing if you're awake. Um, but no, we, we won't do that. Um, but this is our kickoff weekend, um, a block party weekend. Next weekend actually is our official kickoff um, weekend for the, for the ministry year. Um, it's name tag Sunday weekend. So I get up my name tag. I invite you to grab a name tag in the lobby after the service if you don't have one already. And uh, we're going to head over after the service and enjoy hot dogs and root beer and chips. Enjoy one another and hopefully get a chance to meet somebody uh, new. Or hopefully you get a chance to see somebody and go, I should remember their name. Well, this is your one weekend of opportunity to go, aha, that was it. I can stop calling him dude. Uh, so that, that, that always helps. Um, and so uh, I just want to introduce you to somebody first. Uh, this is my granddaughter, Finley. Uh, Finley is seven years old, and uh, she is pretty special to Trina and I. We are her nana and papa, and uh, she, uh, some years ago, I had this spiritual conversation with her in our house. We have some crosses on some walls, and uh, she uh, was looking at the cross, and I just thought, you know, here's a moment. I could just kind of engage in a spiritual conversation with her, and so I asked, Finley, do you know who died on the cross to save you from your sins? She thought, this could be one of, those, one of those moments, and she says, yeah, I know. I said, well, who? She goes, well, Nana did, um, which 
She does think a lot of her Nana. Um, yesterday, I'm with my grandson Riker, and the, you know, it's kind of gray, and the clouds are starting to part, and there's blue sky. And I noticed it and say, hey, Ryan, look, look, see the blue sky? He's like, yeah, I, I see it. I said, who, who made the sky blue, Riker? And, and he looks at me and goes, Nana did, <laughs> which has me a little concerned about the things that Trina is saying to our grandchildren, <laughs> straighten out their theology. But they think a lot of their Nana, um, trying to catch up. But uh, some years ago, uh, Trina picked up uh, Finley from preschool, brought her home, and they were hanging out in the house, and, and, and Finley was a little bit ah, discouraged, a little, kind of a little bummed, just something bugging her, and she told her Nana that she had, she had learned a word from somebody today at school that was just wrong. It's a bad word. And, um, and Trina's like, oh, what? Uh, you know, it's just listening to her, and she said, well, it, and it... It's, it's the word, and you know, you know how this is when you, you don't really want to say the word, you just identify what the word is by using the first letter of the word, um, and so you, you call it by a letter, and I don't want to say the letter because we got kids in the room, so it, it's somewhere between the letter E and the letter G. I'll just give you a few moments to try and figure that out. Okay, you're with me now. So Trina is like, she is like, oh no, this, you know, kind of like gasping, like I have this conversation about four-year-old, and... And so, you know, Finley says, yeah, this word's just wrong, it's bad. And so Trina asks, well, what's, what's the word? And Finley responds by saying, it's the word phone. It's just wrong. It's spelled P-H-O-N-E, and it should be spelled F-O-N-E. It's just a bad, it shouldn't be spelled that way. It's bad. And Trina's like, you are right, amen. And she's so relieved <laughs> that she's just not going to go this other direction. Well, yeah, we, we, we have those words, and we, we don't want to say them, but we identify them. And, you know, there's a word that's increasingly becoming uh, unpopular, and actually it's the title of our series. We call it the E word, okay? The E word. Outside these walls, when this word is, is mentioned in its forms, that there's, a, there's, people don't like this word. And there's this pressure to, uh, to, to, not, to not allow this word to, to have life outside these walls. In fact, this word inside these walls, there's, the, the, there's an increasing uncomfortability with this word, the E word. And actually, when, when some people hear this word, the, the, it's a word that can prompt fear. Uh, for others, it, it doesn't prompt fear, it, it prompts guilt. And yet for others... Um, there's a heaviness associated with this word, and, and shame kind of comes on you. Or maybe, maybe, maybe there's the trifecta, the, the perfect storm of all three of those things. Fear, guilt, and shame just comes over you when you hear this E word. For some, that people get excited about this word. Other people are like, no, oh, this has been, keep your distance from this word. Some of you have already figured out what the E word is, and you're like, are we really going to talk about this for three weeks? Others of you have no clue what the E word is, and you're just saying, would you just say the word so I know what we're talking about? So let me, let me just say it. Get it off my chest. The E word is evangelism. Yeah, see, I told you, yeah. <laughs> You're going to eat a hot dog and never come back. It, see, there's, there, here's the deal. Mark chapter 16, Jesus, you know, every gospel has its own version of the Great Commission. Mark 16 says this. It'll be on the screen behind me. There it is. Hi, no, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. This is Jesus saying this. 
Which means, if you kind of dig down, at the essence, your faith, my faith in Jesus, our faith is a public faith. Yet there is the pressure, external, internal, that wants to privatize that which was intended to be public. We have a faith that was intended to be audible, visible, but there is a pressure, external, internal, that wants to sort of silence that, privatize that faith. I have a friend, his name is Greg. Uh, I met Greg a lot of years ago. He's a doctor. And, uh, you know, we, we were t- coaching soccer together, and one day uh, uh, he asked me, he said, you know, what do you do? He, I, I asked him the question first, and I found he's a doctor, and he says, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a motivational speaker. And um, so I'm, I'm actually, actually a pastor. And he went, oh, okay. And he looked at me and um, said, here's the deal. I promise I will never talk to you about medicine. And I want you to promise to me, he's got his hand extended, I want you to promise to me that you will never talk to me about God. I shook his hand and said, all right, you're on. I mean, we're friends, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I mean, I want to engage in friendship, and, and, uh, but this, these are his terms. So there, sometimes that pressure is external, and when that pressure is external to privatize what is public, you kind of have some options, three options that I can think of. The first one is this. Hide who you are for fear that your neighbor will be angry with you. Okay, kind of just, okay, I'm just going to pull back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to privatize that which was intended to be public. That, that's an option. Some of you grew up singing, how many of you grew up singing the song, This Little Light of Mine? Do you remember that one part that says, hide it under a bushel? No, 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 no. So maybe option two is what you would choose. Option two is speak out about who you are in such a way that you provoke anger in your neighbor. (laughs) Right? I mean, because the the message of the cross is foolish, but it it, it can offend. It's it's offensive, and some of you believe that you have this spiritual gift of being offensive, and so you're just going to live it out. Or this option number three, and this is kind of where we're going, is to go public in such a way that promotes peace and civility. You can actually, your motivation is, is to see peace and to do it in a way that honors the dignity of the hearer. Paul gets at this in the book of Colossians. Uh, he says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. It's possible to have a motivation of peace and civility when you go public with your faith. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. But the reality is still there. There's not a guarantee that this will be a pain-free experience. Because when you do go public, sometimes you face ridicule. You know, people say, call you names. I, I, when I was in the marketplace working, I got called a Bible thumper, you know, I got called, called a choir boy, you know, that, that just kind of goes with the territory. So yeah, there, there could be some, some insults, some ridicule. There could be accusations that come your way that you're narrow-minded, uh, that you're exclusive in a, in a culture, in a world that values inclusivity. Um, there might be, uh, well, here's a, a, an accusation that kind of comes in the form of an article from a guy named William Crawley. Crawley is writing about uh, this, this new initiative by the Pope uh, for a promotion of new evangelization in countries where he says progressive secularization is eclipsing the sense of God. But who is listening? And anyway, is there really an imperative on Christians? 
to convert their fellow humans, or for that matter, Jews, Muslims, or humanists to be persuaders for their beliefs. Some say those who try to convert others are insulting their neighbors or threatening them with divine judgment if they refuse to toe a particular theological line. Crawley ends with his article by saying, is evangelism then a form of religious abuse? That, that might be said to you when you go public with faith. Yeah, you do open yourself up to ridicule. There could be accusations that come your way. You could lose some social capital, so to speak. You might not get that promotion. You might be singled out as that person at work or in your neighborhood. You may be grossly misunderstood, painted with generalizations about who you are because you're a Christian, and in some, we know it's the case in some parts of our world that going public with your faith actually can bring physical harm, even, even death. So in light of all that, why in the world would we want to go public? Now while you're thinking about the answer to that question, I'm going to invite ushers to bring fruit snacks in, uh, because the kids are going, when are the fruit snacks coming? They're coming, kids. Thanks for sticking it out with us. Uh, here at Sam Lyons. Some of you are like, this is your first weekend here, and you're like, what church is this? They do hot dogs and root beer and pass out fruit snacks. You guys just eat. And in October, we start our weight loss series. So we'll be, <laughs> stick with us here. Uh, what, what this is, is we did a month with all the kids being with us. We give our volunteers a break, and so kids get snacks. And so we get the s- snacks with them during the month. And unfortunately, there'll be a collective groan next week because there won't be any snacks. But uh, load up on fruit snacks for the next 11 months. Uh, They're coming your way. Okay, so stick with me here, all right? Why go public? You got external pressures. You got the internal, I mean, I feel the internal pressures. I feel it in my own heart. And, and, And in the face of ridicule and accusations and being misunderstood and the loss of social capital and potential physical harm, Why in the world would we go public? Let me just offer a few reasons why. The first one is simply what is called the stockpile factor. The stockpile factor. Uh, And let me just give you a little background because I'm going to read a passage from 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7 where it describes this battle that's taking place. And in order to understand it, you need to understand kind of how that happened in ancient times. And ancient, ancient cities had walls around them. And when your city was being attacked, you just went into your city and you held, uh, you, you, you hid, and, and, and it kind of held your ground there. Um, and, uh, and the army that was attacking, their strategy would be to starve you out of your city. So they would lay siege for months, I mean, month after month, and, and, uh, and we'll see who's going to surrender first. That's happening in 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, there's this king, he's actually, the, the country's called Aram in the text, but that's modern day Syria. He's laid siege to Samaria, and uh, here, here's how the story's playing out. 2 Kings 6, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. Things have gotten pretty desperate. The, the people are they're, they're surviving on like donkey head stew and you know, dove dung smoothies apparently. It's, it's pretty bad. How are those fruit snacks tasting? 
Pretty, pretty good, huh? Think, things are bad. In fact, they will get worse. They get worse because the city will actually resort to cannibalism just to survive. Now, as this is going on, outside the city, there are four guys who have leprosy. They're lepers. They're outside the city because there's a social stigma that comes with leprosy and people can't be around them. Um, They're seen as being under God's judgment and they're afraid that the disease is contagious. So they're outside the city and, and they're starving as well and they decide to take a gamble and that's where the story really gets interesting. 2 Kings 7, verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went out to the Aramean camp, they said, and no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered and the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people in the palace. Thank you, yeah, yay. (laughs) Four lepers risked their lives. I mean, they're gonna die, so why not just go try and see if they can survive on some food that's available to them in the camp. They get there, the camp is empty, and they are gorging themselves from this stockpile of abundance and provision. And somewhere along the way, as they're hiding gold and silver and gathering this new wardrobe for themselves, their conscience kicks in. And their conscience says that this is not right. If we keep going down this path, maybe something bad's going to happen to us. They actually arrive at this place in their thinking that they believe that it is a crime to remain silent about this abundance that they have discovered. For instance, this stockpile of goodness they stumbled on is, is a bit of a, a metaphor to this, this stockpile of goodness we stumbled upon. We're, in, in a way, we're, we're the four lepers. But we've forgotten this. Because the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we forget who we once were. In fact, the longer we walk with Jesus, the, the greater temptation is to, is to think, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of a good person. We forget who we once were. We forget scripture tells us in places like Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1, that we were dead because of our disobedience and our many sins. That we didn't measure up to God's standards. 
Romans 5 tells us that we were once a people without hope. We were helpless. In fact, Romans 5 goes on to say we were an enemy of God. Ephesians 5 tells us that that once we were full of darkness. We didn't just have a little bit of darkness in us. We were full of it. And Isaiah chapter 64 describes our righteousness. Those things that we would say, "This this is the good part of us. Those things that we would try and highlight and say, this is why I'm not a bad person. Isaiah says, your righteousness is like filthy or disgusting rags. That's that's who we were, but we stumbled upon something. Actually, we stumbled upon someone that even while we were still sinning, even though we were still rebelling against God, God put a plan together, not to punish us, but to rescue us. A helpless people, a hopeless people, a people that were starving for some answers in life, and we stumbled upon Jesus. And Ephesians 1 describes a bit of the stockpile of goodness and grace that we have experienced in Christ. And I want to read part of Ephesians 1 for you, because I just want you to Listen to this description of who you are and how Christ has blessed you. Listen to this. Because we, we were all, we were all those lepers. And then, then Christ was revealed to us and Paul describes that by saying, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now get this. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the, for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And the text keeps going and going. And this is now who you are. Friends, once you were hopeless and helpless and God revealed his son to you and you went from this place of being destitute and desperate to this place where grace abounds and you have a future inheritance in Christ. He's like your older brother, the book of Hebrews tells us. And that inheritance gets shared with you. And this is your new status in Christ. And can we simply say, when it comes to the E word, and it comes to this pressure, we feel it outside these walls. We feel it inside. When when we talk about going public with our faith, the reality is, yeah, you open yourself up to ridicule. Yeah, there's accusations, misunderstanding, a loss of social capital, maybe even some physical harm that comes with it. But friends, we stumbled onto a stockpile of grace. And I think we should consider it a crime to stay silent about it. We need wisdom, we need discernment, and and how to live out our faith in in a way that promotes peace and civility. But there's a reason why God has blessed us. In fact, the second reason, the second way to answer that question, why go public, when there's all that you might be facing, is simply this: it's the honor of representing Jesus. (laughs) You need to get this. See, God didn't go, okay, 
Jesus, ascend to heaven, glad you're here. Uh, but all our plans about getting the word out on you is not really going very well because, you know, the internet hasn't been invented yet. So, okay, I guess last resort, we'll have people do it. No, you were his plan A. You, you were his big plan. You were the, the great unveiling of how he was gonna get the word out about who his son is, is you. You are his ambassador. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Why go public with, with, with this idea that's, that's not real popular anymore? External pressure, internal pressure, there's risk involved because we stumbled upon a stockpile of grace and goodness. It's a crime to stay silent about it. And because God, we're God's plan A, he's chosen us, given us the privilege of being his ambassadors. And, and a third reason, and this may not be too popular, this is because it's the reality of hell. The reality, of, yes, the H word. Okay? Some of you are thinking, okay, here we go. Steve is going to drag us back into the dark ages and talk about hell. It's going to get all medieval on us. Well, we talk about heaven, but we really do need to talk about the reality of hell, eternal separation from God. And a lot of people think that, you know, Jesus doesn't talk much about hell, but can I just read to you um, from Luke 16 uh, about this as Jesus tells a parable? And just say right up front, Obviously, this topic has been used for manipulation and has tried to scare people into faith. And, um, and, and so sometimes the pendulum swing is, well, let's just not talk about it at all. Well, Jesus talked about it, so we need to talk about it. Luke 16, Jesus tells a parable and he says, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now here he is being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross from over there to, to here. So then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Clearly Jesus referring to his own resurrection. Now, a couple things I, I want you to hear in this parable that Jesus tells is this, 
that there is a place that's real enough where, where it's painful enough that people are in torment and they're in anguish and just asking for a drop of water. But more importantly, what I want you to see, what I want you to hear is that the cry of this man is for evangelists. There are people that he loves who have not believed, who have not repented, and he's longing, he's hoping that he never sees them again in the place that he's at. And friends, I know this topic is not a popular topic, and I, and I, and I, I, want, I realize that, but the reality is that we've we got to remember this because that is one of the reasons why we would not want to privatize what is public. We have a public faith. We've stumbled on a stockpile of grace and goodness we are God's plan A. And yes, there's the reality of heaven and there is the reality of hell. And it's a place that God wants no one to endure. Which then leads me to the last thing I'd say about why embrace the E word. Why go public when all the pressure, external and internal, would say to privatize it in the face of ridicule and accusations and misunderstanding and the loss of social capital and even physical harm? Why? It's simply this. It's... It's the reward of introducing someone to Jesus. The joy that comes when you see someone you care about, you love, you've been praying for, cross the line of faith and understand who Jesus is. Now, some of you have heard me tell my story about my friend Greg. I mean, just tell a bit of it again and share something that kind of a newer development. Greg is the guy who's the doctor who made me shake and say, promise that you'll never talk to me about faith. I shook his hand. Now, some years later, we're driving on I-5 from Kelso to go to Mount Hood to snowboard together. Just south of Kelso, Washington, there are some billboards. On one of the billboards, it says, Christ died to save sinners. And, and Greg sees this. He sees it every day. He sees it, and he just erupts in anger. He says, what is it with you Christians that you have to slap us with this tag that we, we're called sinners? Why do you have to tell us that every day? And we're in the car, and I look at him and say, Greg, I'd love to answer your question, but I promise we'd never talk about this, so. <laughs> and I winked at him and smiled to try and break the tension. The tension was broken. He said, no, 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 I really, I really want to have this conversation. And I, Frank, it was, it was very insightful for me. I, I'd never looked at that billboard through that lens, but that's what he was feeling. We talked for a couple hours, and, um, and years would go by, and every once in a while, he would bring up conversations about God. He would just talk about it. And actually got to this one moment. We're talking about six years of being friends. And I, I, shook, I shook hands on this thing. So he, he's driving the conversation. I'm respecting his boundaries, and it uh, actually comes to a point, we, we had a cross in front of our church, some white ribbons, and um, Greg said, I mean, I'm considering doing that, but I'm, I'm not quite ready yet because I know that when I pound a white ribbon in that cross that it's gonna be a line for me and I'm gonna have to leave the old way of living and I'm gonna have to walk in a new way. He was very, he's a very principled guy. He's saying, so I'm, I'm contemplating that. And actually came the day when Greg did that very thing. He had his moment at the cross, pounded a white ribbon in the cross. And, um, and by the way, there have been people this weekend who've had their moment too. And Greg had his moment. And man, I, I, I can't even express the joy that Trina and I experienced 
when Greg had his moment. Now, he's, he's, he's gone forward in his faith, and last year, after a 6.30 service, um, Greg sent me a text, not just to me, but to our whole family, and I was talking with him this week and um, asked his permission if I could share this text with you, and he, he gave that permission, and he, here's what he wrote me. He said, Dear Fowlers, I have been fortunate enough to be in Baja, California, kiteboarding with a friend of mine. We've been friends for 33 years, and I have delivered his youngest child. While there, he shared with me he is having an affair. I listened over many evening talks to his story of a slow fade to the chaos and dark place he is in now. While in Baja, Carlene, Carlene is Greg's wife, um, Carlene called to tell me that her oldest daughter had been admitted to the hospital with suicidal thoughts because her husband had been discovered having an affair. I think I was able to offer support. I booked an earlier flight home, and while sitting in the San Francisco airport, texted one of my friends declining a Super Bowl invitation. He texted back stating his plans had changed and was in the San Francisco airport as well, urgently trying to get to Tucson where his wife was sitting at her father's hospital bedside, gravely ill. My plane was boarding in 25 minutes, but I walked to his gate and he was able to talk about his father-in-law's condition and his wife's heavy heart. While we spoke, his wife's father passed and I was able to sit with him. All coincidence? I think not. I am eternally grateful for God's presence, and I felt him closer than usual this entire week. I want to express my gratitude to all of you, Steve, Trina, Beth, Brittany, Chase, and Cal, for helping me to let God into my heart. Your friend, Greg. Friends, there's just nothing like seeing someone you love discover who Jesus is. And to get a text like that where here's a guy who's, he's not only a doctor, he, he's got a pastoral gifting and he just cares for people well and he continues to do that in his line of profession. Friends, you can have that joy as well. You know, maybe you're hearing this, you go, well, Steve, you, I mean, you know how to do that. You're a pastor. You get paid to do that. Um, well, here's the, no, that's not what I get paid to do. I get paid to equip you to do that. So go do that, okay? <laughs> We're going to talk about how in, in, in the few weeks to come. We're going to talk about how. But can I just say, there's no joy like seeing someone you love be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Now, let's just talk about, what are some ways we can apply this? How do, how do we apply this whole talk about the E-word and going public when there's all this pressure to privatize? Just a few, few handles. First one is simply this. One thing you could do this week is to meditate on Ephesians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. That's that passage I, was, I began to read that has all these blessings kind of laid out. Some theologians will tell us that, that, that Paul was ransacking the language, just scouring for words to try and express all that Christ has done for you. Would, would you read this text several times this next week and would you notice what gets your attention? Notice what grabs your attention. 
and, and dig into it. Kind of peel back the layers and let it sink in about what God has done for you. Meditate on Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. It'll astound you. Second thing I would say is, is this. It's very likely that God's put at least two people in your life that you could spiritually influence and pray for. That they might come to know who Jesus is. Right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of two names right now. Because in a little bit, you're gonna be completely distracted because there's hot dogs and root beer and bouncy houses and all that stuff out there. I want you to put it in your phone. Write it down, put it somewhere. And begin praying for them. And you may be wondering, well, how do I pray? And Well, this is what I did. When Greg said, shake my hand, what I went to is uh, I just went to praying for him. We're walking around our sanctuary just praying over him. And, just, and I, I, verses in the scripture kind of popped out to me. So here's a verse. I'll share it with you. This is a verse I prayed over Greg. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So I began using that scripture and just sort of praying, okay, God, so Satan has blinded Greg's mind. Lord, I just bless him with sight in his mind to understand who you are and this gospel message. I prayed that verse for a lot of months for Greg. Uh, And apparently at some point in time, that, that began to happen in his life. You can pray that for your friends or for other verses you might want to pray for your friends, those names that come to mind. Because we have a public faith. And we feel the internal pressure. We put it on ourselves. I put it on myself to, to privatize it. I mean, I was in Alaska last week on the last vacation. I was fishing, and I'm, I'm, I'm in this lodge with about 15 people, and one of the guys is there. He's his bucket list, and he's there in Alaska fishing because he's got liver cancer. He just wants, he wants a fishing trip to Alaska. And he's there, here, I'm spending a week. I've seen this guy in the morning and night who's got liver cancer, who does not have much time left. And I, and I want to talk about who Jesus is to him. I don't, I don't have any chips with him, but how do I begin praying? How do I, how do I have a conversation with this guy? And even while I'm doing that, I feel this pressure. What right do you have to talk to this guy? And then it dawns on me. It's like, I'm never going to be around this guy ever again. I could be a complete idiot. He'll never know who I am. <laughs> but I, I feel the pressure, and I'm a pastor. I know you feel the pressure internally and externally. But we stumbled upon a stockpile of goodness. We're God's plan A. There is a real heaven and hell. And there is a, a joy that's hard to express when we see those we love in a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray about that together. So Jesus, we come here today and uh, we admit the fear when it comes to this topic. But maybe a place for us to start, Jesus, with you is just, what, what do you want us to know about you today? What were you hoping that we'd walk out of these doors knowing about who you are? I... I just hear you saying that you want people to know that you are a blesser. You want people to know that there's a false narrative out there about who you are, that you're, you're angry, 
But in reality, you're kind. What do you want us to know about you, Jesus? And, and how do you want us to respond to that? Now, we, want, we definitely want to be hearers, but we also want to be doers. Not because we're trying to earn anything, we just we want to walk in the way that you have set for us. What are you calling us to? Thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to be adopted into the family, for paying the price to make that happen, for blessing us beyond our comprehension. You are good. Help us make a great name for you. We pray in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.